What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew Richardson. Thank you, as always, for joining me on the show. It was always awesome to have you guys uh, reaching out, joining in, checking out the show, seeing what cool guests we have every week. We have a really cool guest this week. Super excited about it. Been chatting for a while. Glad we could finally make it happen. And we will get to him in just a second. We'll knock out some business first. As always, we appreciate it. If you subscribe, leave us reviews, enjoy the show, let us know on Apple Podcasts, podchaser.com, whatever your listening app is of choice, make sure you subscribe to us there. We, of course, like everyone, have a Patreon. So check out patreon.com slash rollforpersuasion. You can submit questions for guests like we have today. And uh, that is one of the many awesome benefits of supporting the show. So we appreciate that financial support helps us keep going. And of course, connect with us on social at Roll Persuasion on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to email me, I love getting emails, andrew at rollforpersuasion.com. Be sure to reach out. By the way, if you are one of our listeners in an international country, we are based in the US, but I noticed we have listeners in Australia and the UK and Canada. Hit me up because I would love to hear from you because it just blows my mind that someone completely around the world would uh, want to listen to the show. So uh, reach out. I'd love to chat with you. And our episode this week, as in previous weeks, is brought to you by Smuggler's Coffee, which is my personal favorite coffee brand. Jason, do you uh, do you fuck with Smuggler's? Good coffee. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So uh, they turned me on to barrel-aged coffee, which is where they, they sit the coffee beans in a bourbon, brandy, rum barrels for like a year, and it kind of soaks up all that goodness from the wood. And uh, just makes a delicious coffee that you can enjoy. Fuels my D&D sessions and uh, many out there enjoy their coffee. So make sure you check them out. Store.smugglerscoffee.com or Smugglers Coffee on social media. It is some good shit and we enjoy it here on the show. And you can enjoy it there at home. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Very excited about our guest tonight. Jason Charles Miller. What is up, man? How's it going? Um, Not too much. Just, uh, you know, trying to fit. 48 hours of work into 24 hours a day based on your your wikipedia page alone i i, I feel like that's probably a fairly typical day for you is, is that correct you're, you're busy right yeah yeah i mean you always think this is going to slow down towards the holidays and it just never really does right well thanks again man for for joining me on the show um very excited to have you on and kind of hear everything that you're involved in and, and uh, everything that's kind of been part of your tabletop and, and D&D career. I, weirdly enough, maybe not weirdly enough, I actually got into your music before I found out you were involved in gaming. Uncountry was a, was an album I had on repeat um, for hey, quite awesome. some time. Yeah, back in kind of 2011, 2012. So big fan mm-hmm. of your music. Um, but you are deep, deep involved in D&D and tabletop and, and all that stuff, right? I mean... Give us yeah, give us the, the kind of elevator pitch of of everything you're involved in because it's a lot. Uh, well, I like to say I have a lot of plates spinning on all my fingers. Right, right. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of irons in the fire. A lot of fingers in different pies. I guess there's lots of finger metaphors. Um, <laughs> sure, take that for what you will. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a musician. Uh, I'm a voice actor. Uh, I'm also a host, and I'm very much involved in uh, the streaming D&D world. Uh, and I also own a recording complex, and 
uh, I produce music. I write music for other artists and other projects as well as for myself. And, um, but I've also been a voice actor for 17 years. That's, that's actually how I met a lot of, um, critical role and things like that because we knew each other before critical role was even a thing. Right. Um, and we played D and D together before that was even a thing. So, uh, yeah, I've been playing D and D since I was eight. Oh, wow. And, uh, I've been performing in front of audiences since I was six. So what, what were you doing um, in front of audiences at a, at six years old? Just singing at recitals and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. To half remembered Beatles songs. And right. Like <laughs> so D and D at eight. So what was your, what was your first introduction to Dungeons and Dragons? Um, a couple of things. One was my cousin showing me how to play and then, um, asking my dad to buy me, um, like the basic edition and then trying to play with my right. dad a little bit. But I remember my cousin Wesley was DMing me and he, I guess he wanted to teach me a lesson like on how mean the game can be. Yeah. He was like nine and I was eight and within five minutes of playing the first game, like all my equipment was gone. All my gold was <laughs> gone. Like some ruffian took it all from me. Right. You know, that's, that's funny. The first at the first NPC I ever meet asks me how much gold I have. <laughs> and I'm an eight year old kid. Right. So I just go 10 gold pieces and he goes, give them to me. And you know, I'm a kid. So I'm yeah. like, Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> Right. That was my first experience. And it only went uphill from there. So, <laughs> well, you, you know, know at least mean, there's that. you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So then ha- have you more right. or less exactly. been playing constantly kind of throughout the years? I know a lot of people I've talked to kind of some of them started playing as a kid and then kind of tailed off and start, you know, picked it back up in college or adulthood. Um, have you kind of been consistently playing since then? I mean, it did trail off for me at certain times, but I yeah. always came back to it and I always had my books with me. So, um, like in any house that I moved, I always wanted to have my D and D books close to me. Yeah. So they were always in a bookshelf, either in my bedroom or, you know, just anywhere where I lived that so could always be near them and look at them when I wanted to. And, um, I still have all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the first edition, you know, DDs and demigods. And right. First right. player's book and Dungeon Master's Guide with all my little stickers and like, you know, earmarks on yeah. where to go to on reference page 242, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. So what was it about the game that kind of first like caught you was it the uh was the fantasy world the kind of ability to do whatever you wanted fighting i mean what was it that really kind of like caught your imagination oh it was the fantasy world for sure um like being able to be an adventurer or a hero in uh this amazing fantasy setting uh the lord of the rings is like the first book or you know trilogy i remember reading even so that kind of 
um, descriptive fantasy realm, those kind of things were just, you know, things that took me to another place. Because I yeah. grew up in the woods of Virginia, an only child, and the closest neighbor to play with was like a mile through the woods. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the closest neighbor that had like kids of my age. Yeah. And so I had a lot of alone time growing up, um, at certain times. So books and were my escape. Yeah, for sure. Games too. So I would, I would even create characters and have no one to play them with until <laughs> I was on the school bus or something. Right. Right. That, that was my introduction to role-playing games. I got the, uh, the Star Wars role-playing game guidebooks, I don't know, middle school or, or younger. And I went out and I built all these characters. And then I got to the part where I was like, oh, I need someone else to play with. I can't just... Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure I could have found a way. But, uh, but, but yeah, so I, I had a bit of a similar experience in that vein. So, so you're playing, you're doing music. When, when did you kind of... I assume you've been playing music for forever. When, when, did, uh, when did Godhead and kind of all that... Um, when did all that kind of pick up for you? That happened in college. Um, that happened. Godhead started to happen. I think my second year in college. And um, we started playing. Actually, our first gig was at the Rathskeller in, uh, okay. at George Mason University. You know, yeah. I think every college, the Rathskeller. <laughs> right. um, and... After my third year of college, I made a deal with my parents. I said I wanted to take a, a year off so that I could really pursue music full time. Yeah. And my dad said, okay, you can take a year off. But if within that year you don't get a record deal, you got to go back to college. And I got a record deal. Yeah. So I never went back. Right. <laughs> I wonder, do you know, like at the time, was he kind of viewing that as like, here's, here's an insurmountable goal. Oh, sure. If, if you get a record deal probably, and then you went out yeah, and fucking probably. did it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I'm lucky that, you know, he's a man of his word and he stuck yeah. to it. Oh, that's, that's super cool. So then you're out of college. I, you're touring, I assume. I mean, you, you, you've opened for and, yeah. and played with big acts, right? Like Manson, Nine Inch Nails, like, um, huge names big crowds i assume so so what was the you know the I, we'll, we'll get back to D. &D. i'm yeah. indulging the music fan part of me right now but uh but what was, what was that like man oh it's it's incredible um what i i equate it to and of course everything goes back to nerddom so in star trek generations that mm -hmm. movie when guinan guinan explains what what the nexus is yeah she's like it's pure joy and if you ever get away from the nexus all you want to do is get back to it yeah that is what performing on stage is like yeah for yeah. me yeah i'm just like in another world and um it's you know when you are in the zone so to speak and then you have that relationship with the audience in front of you right and they're in the zone with you it's a pretty amazing uh, experience yeah yeah I, on, a, on a much minor level um i can definitely relate with that i was involved in theater my entire life like all the way you know from you know five years mm -hmm. old on you know 
church pageant stuff up until up through college and I haven't been able to get back to it on the stage since but but I, I know what you're talking about that kind of uh especially when it's a collaborative thing when you have a cast or you have band members and, you, and you've yep. been working together right to build a thing and then you finally get to put it in front of people and you see them connect with it there's there's not there's not much like that moment right 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 yeah do, do um, you pretty incredible do you find that at all now that you you know are involved so heavily in the the streaming world and, and the D and kind of live play um you've got a, a game coming out this will come out later but you've got a game coming up this weekend with uh, a satine for um for her charity stream do you find is, is there a similar vibe to that or, or is it kind of a, a a whole different beast when you do like the live shows like that streaming is yeah, it's, it's, it's totally different. It can be, but it's still fun. I mean, um, sure. you know, and even performing, so let, let's take just performing music to a streaming audience. We'll start there. Yeah. Right. And you don't have, you can't look them in the eye. Right. Right. But there's usually people in the studio. You can tell, when something's going right, you know, uh, and when you're streaming a game that is just a different kind of performance because you're still feeling a connection to the audience because you know, they're watching right. your every move, but it's, you're collaborating with a group and you're improvising immediately with that group. Yeah. Whereas most of the time when you're performing live, it's songs that you've rehearsed. I've been in plays as well growing up. And so it's material that you've rehearsed choreography. Um, the, the feeling of satisfaction I think is different right. than again, when you, uh, are streaming a game and someone does something completely unexpected sure. and takes the game in a different direction um, for good or ill, the choices that people make on the fly are fascinating. Right, yeah. And I think that's a different kind of reward. Yeah. And so kind of going back to when you when you started kind of into the you know, taking your D and D game maybe off of the the table at home into really other other people's living rooms through streaming was that yeah. was that um, at Geek and Sundry did did that kind of happen for you before that? What was kind of the advent of that moment in your career, if you will? Yeah, it happened at Geek and Sundry. Um, the funny thing is, is like the first streaming games that I ever did were force a teens charity. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and, uh, cause she's been, this will be like the ninth one, I think. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time I had ever streamed a D and D game was, was for, um, charity 20. And then one of the very other first times I had streamed a game is when I was a guest star on critical role. So yeah. Talk about trial by fire. <laughs> but then, <laughs> I also guest starred on Ivan's show, which was called No Survivors at the yeah, time. Yeah. 
which became Foreververse. And then I became a regular cast member on Foreververse and it went for yeah. 14 months, you know, every, every week for 14 months. And yeah. that really like taught us so much and put like what it's like to stream a game online. It totally, you know, I got comfortable with it and yeah. sort of understood you're playing a game, but you're also, you are also putting on a show. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so you have to do things that you might not normally do at your home game. And you definitely feel like you're under a microscope, but once you get used to that kind of pressure, then it just gets easier and easier. And then you just feel just as comfortable doing that as you would playing at home. Sure. So what, what all, are you still starter kit still going on? Right. So starter kit is a show at geek and sundry that you were involved in that kind of teaches new players about D and D. Um, what was, was that whole, right. like the conception of that show as far as, cause it's not a pure campaign live stream, right? It, it introduces right. characters to different games. Kind of what's the, the idea we, around that? We, we, we pre-tape it and we definitely have an agenda for each episode because the idea is to teach. The yeah. idea is we're teaching the people that we're teaching the players, but we're teaching the players at home. And so Sean Becker, who was um, head of content at Geek and Sundry, his idea was, he goes, look, I like critical role, but I don't play D and D and I don't know how to play D and D. What if we made a show where we taught people how to do that so that um, it, it, it making the games easier, more easier, easily accessible to everyone else. And sure. I thought that was a great idea. And we started with D and D and then we did seventh C and we brought in, so then we started bringing in the creators of the game. So yeah. in round in season one, I taught D and D, but yeah. then in season two, John wick who start, who, wrote seven C he taught seven C and then season three we did uh Newman era and mm-hmm. Monty cook came in and season four we did uh Phoenix Dawn command and Keith Baker came and taught it. So like as then we did for season five, we did mid-level D and D and um, brought in another writer from starter kit who'd been there with me from the beginning, Dave net and, so every time that I'm not behind the DM screen or the GM screen, I'm one of the players yeah. too. And I'm sort of guiding our viewers at home through what, what we're all experiencing. And so each episode is about 40 to 45 minutes. It's much more bite-sized and yeah. consumable. And yeah, they're still rolling them out on YouTube now. So um, there'll be four more seasons coming out oh, on wow. YouTube. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Let's talk for a second about kind of the 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 merging of you know like rock star and like nerd, right? Because and and this might just be an assumption on my part, but but I feel like uh, Travis Willingham and uh, Joe Manganiello has have both kind of talked about this about the the dissonance of being kind of like a jock who also is a nerd, and and that was kind of my background growing up playing a lot of uh, sports. I was. Um, in high school and college, it was kind of that thing of like, okay, I don't talk about star Wars and we're at like basketball practice or at games. Like that's something I do with my other friends at home. Is that same kind of disconnect present in like the, uh, like in the, in the rock star world, 
um, where where it's kind of like, okay, this is my musician friends and these are like my nerd friends or, or is there kind of a more of a acceptance or at least at the time more of an acceptance in those two worlds? I think in music there's more of an acceptance. I know plenty of musicians who are super nerds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we all nerd out on different things. Some might nerd out on like guitar pickups, right. and guitar amps, <laughs> but I know plenty of musicians who play RPGs. So, yeah. um, I'm, I'm more comfortable talking about it with musicians than I would be with like athletes or something. Sure. For sure. sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense actually thinking about um because i've done sound engineering for years and so thinking about all the guitarists i know who like to whip out their pedal boards and you know point oh look at you know look at this distortion pedal i got to, like it's that's a whole different hell, world right? of nerd yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah no that, that's super cool so so did you have a moment or was it kind of a gradual thing where you started to realize that like this whole D and and actual playing all that was becoming like a legitimate kind of mainstream force because it's, you know, if you look 10 years ago, um, I think a lot of people might've laughed at the idea that, that a bunch of people playing a, a game would land a major, you know, television deal, essentially like critical role recently did, or that it would be a mainstay feature in a lot right. of, you know, popular culture. Um, did you kind of notice when that shift started to happen or did it just kind of happen gradually? It happened quickly. Yeah. It happened super quickly. Um, and it's almost confusing, but then people watching other people play poker on TV was always sure. confusing to me. Right. So I just equated it with that. I'm like, oh, okay, this is just like people watching other people play poker, but they're just watching us play D and D and, and, um, it makes perfect sense after that. Yeah, no, that's a good analogy. Um, what is it like for you getting to to actively do multiple passions like for your career essentially right like music um, nerd and gaming because I think many people would would say that they often have to sacrifice you know some if not all of the things that they're really passionate about for the sake of a, of a career whatever that job might be but you know you get right. to make awesome music uh, you were just on tour you were actually in Houston recently my hometown and I, I totally missed you. Um, but you get to do music, you, you're, you're getting to do music for shows. You're getting to perform on shows. What's it like kind of getting to have all of that, you know, together as your career? No, it's great. I mean, it's, it's a ton of work. Like we're saying, sure, yeah. uh, schedulings are schedule are, are insane, but I love it. And so I'm, I feel like I have a blessed life for sure. Sure. And I am so thankful that I have all these different things that I can do in my life to earn a living. Um, and I know that it could also go away in a second. So I just am thankful every day that I can do it and just try to do the best that I can and be so appreciative of the fact that it's even there in front of me. Um, and so it just inspires me to work harder and to do more, uh, because I know how lucky I am. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me a little bit, if you don't mind about kind of those early days of geek and sundry, um, 
you know, I, like I mentioned, I, I was talking with Ivan previously in his episode, I think will come out about a week before yours. And he was kind of talking about what it was like to be, um, cause he was there fairly early on kind of in the space surrounded by people who had the same kind of creative energy to, to drive this whole new thing of, of kind of digital production of nerdy things. Um, what was it like to, to be in that environment? I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how early on were you involved with Felicia and, and Geek and Sundry? Well, I was actually involved earlier than Ivan oh, because really? the first thing that I did was I you were got in an hired, episode of the Guild, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, but I co-wrote Game On oh, with okay. Felicia. Yeah. The video that they put out after Do You Want to Date My Avatar, the next one was Game On, yeah. which was like a, tri- a tribute to Bollywood. And I got recommended to uh, work with Felicia on that song and, and, um, cause Jed Whedon had done, do you want to date my avatar? He was unavailable. Their production, uh, the production designer, uh, Greg Aronowitz recommended me. And, uh, I'm so thankful that he did because, you know, that introduced me to Felicia and we realized that we worked really well together Yeah, and, um, she hired me to do other things there and other music for Geek and Sundry. And then as Geek and Sundry got bigger and bigger, it was, I knew Matt Mercer and I had done a musical together called Muzzled. Okay. So, uh, if you go to YouTube and look up Muzzled the musical, yeah. um, I, he produced it and I wrote the songs for it and it's really fun. And so Matt and I knew each other from like conventions and just both being voice actors and him acting occasionally at my recording studio. Yeah. So it was crazy that like here I was working with Felicia on Geek and Sundry on like on other projects, and then Matt came in and and Towson Towson directed me in my very first uh, voiceover gig, okay. like seventeen years ago, and we met at Anime Expo like yeah. two thousand two or something. So I love the fact that like so many of us all came together with Geek and Sundry from different directions. Right. Yeah. And all sort of met there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind cool. of a convergence that now has kind of really grown into all of these, you know, different endeavors and, and huge opportunities that I mean back then who who could have yeah. known, right? We never could have known. Yeah. 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 So voice acting, we haven't even touched on that. I mean, you you have a huge list of credits there too. You were Drizzt in uh, Neverwinter online, right? Um, and you've been in, mm-hmm. in multiple other things, uh, Star Trek online, World of Warcraft, um, Attack on Titan, all sorts of things. Do, do you have any any roles there that really kind of stick out that, that was you know either a great experience in the recording process or that just is really kind of like a nerd cred that you're like, man, I'm really, really glad I did that. You know, that was something I'm really proud Star of. Star Trek online. For sure. For sure. Uh, Drist for sure. Um, also, the role of Raubon Aldean in Final Fantasy XIV mm-hmm. was a great role because I had this Braveheart-esque type speech yeah. that every actor just loves to sink their teeth into. Sure. You know, and and I'm so thankful for that role. And then what was crazy, too, is... For Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, I independently got hired to sing the theme song for that like oh, five okay. years later. Yeah. 
And it was just like a cool full circle moment because even though I wasn't acting in the game anymore, yeah, um, I still got to be involved in the game this year um, singing the song. They released it as a single in Japan and it went to number four on the Billboard charts. Oh, wow. That's How crazy, insane man. Is that? That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and full circle, <laughs> like you said. <laughs> just, just, that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what is that like um, when, when you approach like a music project for, say, Critical Role? You did the Critical Role theme song. So let's, let's go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Versus maybe writing a song, you know, for, for an album or for, you know, more of like a band performance. What, what's kind of the, the mental approach to a theme song, if you will, for a show like CR? Well, knowing D&D, and knowing what their show is going to be, it needed to be something epic. It needed to be something huge. Uh, Howard Shore, the composer of the Lord of the Rings films, yeah. is a huge influence on me when it comes to orchestral pieces. Yeah. And so I just knew it had to have an epic melody and just, you know, epic, epic, epic. Right. <laughs> uh, which is completely different than like writing a song for the Disney channel. Sure. Yeah. You know, or, or writing a song for, um, WWE or, um, or something like that. So I think I just, I can put myself in different situations. Yeah. I'm good at assessing. I feel like I'm really good at assessing what's needed Mm -hmm. for whatever project it is. And then I just do my best until it sounds right. Yeah. And I just keep working on it till it's, until it sounds like it's, you know, the right, the right piece for the, for the project. Yeah, for sure. Let me real quick jump to uh, a question from one of the show's Patreon supporters um, for you specifically. This is from uh, our backer, Brady, and her question is about Thrashtopia. Uh, She says, I absolutely absolutely loved the sort of Pee Wee's Playhouse-style atmosphere of Thrashtopia. Um, How did you enjoy getting to be part of something so fun and off the walls, and what was your favorite aspect of the show? I loved it. Um, Not only did I get to play Bunkerbot, her AI companion, um, I also wrote the theme song and then co-wrote all the other music for the show. Yeah. So that was really awesome because my friend Jeff Vicente and I wrote um, all the mosh it out moments. And yeah. we just asked Whitney, like, what are some of your favorite metal bands? And so she listed off like four or five. And then knowing what those bands were, we did the best of our ability to emulate what a song might sound like from them for the show. Right. But I love, I loved being bunker bot because that was really like the first time I was kind of a main character in a recurring show. And that as, as a performer, as an entertainer, an actor, uh, those just, getting those opportunities are extremely rare and, and they're just great. So uh, that was probably the most fun 
on set was probably the most fun. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, do you have like a favorite project that you've been involved with from, from the kind of, uh, you know, nerd world standpoint, um, that kind of stands well, out as, as your, your favorite? Yeah. I mean, I'm really proud of starter kit and, you know, people recognize me on the street from it, which is really awesome. Yeah. And I'm so, and, but they always say like, Oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure about D and D and then I watched starter kit and, and that got me into it. And, or like I had a, I was trying to get my group of friends to play it and I gave them your episodes and that's what made us play it. And that's really fun, you know, and that's really great to have, to have those kind of, um, compliments yeah. given, but I mean, I'm proud of it in general, just because, you know, we're living in a time of despair for a lot of people, right? Sure, yeah. Like, like there are so many things that are happening that no one can explain. And gaming is an escape from all that, at least yeah. for just a couple of hours. And I think that it, it helps people, you know, it, it helps people step away from the problems of their day and go to another world for a little while. And, yeah. you know, what's better than that? Yeah. Man, I can't think of a better note to end on. Like, I, I'd like to keep talking, but that's like, you know, when you land, well, the, when you land the plane, what's the point of taking it off again to, to loop around and, and see if you make it back down? But we didn't talk about on Deadwood, though. We didn't, which all. is the whole, oh, you know what? And, <laughs> which and is why you wanted to interview me. Yeah, it's the whole original thing. <laughs> And and there are undeadwood fans I know who are going to be listening to this, uh, who who would have kicked me in the ass if I if I didn't follow up on on undeadwood. Yeah, so you did the music for undeadwood, yeah. which yeah, which the show itself was so thematic, it was so heavy, like every element of it was so fucking on point that that if any, I I feel like that if any piece of it had been kind of out of sync or out of step, it would have it would have been jarring. And so from the set to the costumes to Brian to the actors to the music everything kept you in the moment. So, so yeah, walk us through the process of, uh, or just everything involved. Uh, when, when did you kind of get approached to do stuff for the I got show? Approached, I got approached with like no time. I got approached like two <laughs> weeks before the first episode oh, was God. come out. So it was insane. Um, and, but as soon as they offered it to me, I accepted because I knew it was going to be something great. Yeah. And so I, just spent night after night after night working on it and finding moments where I felt like music was needed because you see with a gameplay show, the moments are so incredibly long because sure you've got improvisational acting right. going on, but then when someone says, I'm going to shoot that guy, well, then you got to roll for it. You got to right. roll for damage, go back and forth. So all of the music cues were way longer than a regular television show. And so I found myself challenging myself over and over again to just make sure that every time a new segment of a song started, that I was adding new elements to it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to bore people, you know, and I didn't want people right, to be like, right. I only heard that before. So, um, there's actually only three musicians on the whole thing. Okay. So I'm on acoustic guitar and then I programmed 
all of the percussion okay. and the drums right. and piano. And then um, a woman named Aubrey Richmond is on fiddle and Adam Hall is on dobro and banjo and they really make the whole thing come to life. Yeah. You know, um, the song I'm most proud of is a song called the duel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, the Aubrey's playing on that is just exceptional and really takes it to another level. But both of them, they're, it was like they're icing on my steak or something. Like I put down the meat and potatoes and yeah. then they, they just like put everything on top of it that just made it. They put the seasoning yeah, and the yeah. spice and everything that makes it taste good. Like I can put down, I can put down the meat and it will sustain you, but it won't taste good. But then <laughs> right, I bring right. in Aubrey and I bring in Adam and they, and they season it for you. They marinate it. They do everything else that like makes it the best tasting steak you've ever had in your life. And right. so I'm so glad that they were even available because Aubrey, Aubrey has played on my records before, mm -hmm. but right now she tours with Shooter Jennings oh, and also awesome. Duff, McKag Duff, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. She's yeah. in his band as well. So I was just waiting for her to come back and like, are you available at like three o'clock on Wednesday? Okay, let's get, get you in here. <laughs> right. You know, so. It was, um, and it was a real challenge because we had all these deadlines that were insane. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I can share all that. It, I can share all that music with everyone. And also I think that it, I, I proved a lot of things to myself yeah. from that because I had to make something of quality in such a short amount of time and according to everyone that's heard it, we seem to have pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, I, I've had it rolling on, uh, on Spotify for a while. I, I mentioned to you on Twitter, you need to put out a vinyl version just for me. I mean, you know, screw everybody sure. else, but, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I think, <laughs> I think that would be uh, a fantastic vinyl thing. I, I guarantee you if critical role put it on their store and they tweeted out, Oh, we got, we got a vinyl. It would sell out. Like, I mean, that's, that's the magic of, of CR, but, um, when you were doing, so did you, did you put the whole kind of score together and then hand it off to them or were you involved in kind of pairing up the music in the moments? Was Brian playing music as they played? I'm assuming not cause they filmed it uh, you know, ahead of time, you said you were kind of a short, short window. How, how did the music right. pair up with the scenes? I was given the episodes and then sort of went back and forth with Brian on like what point he really wanted music, what kind of music he right, wanted in right. these moments. And then I just went for it. Then yeah. I picked moments that I felt like were most appropriate and just you know, did my best to, uh, to make it work. So that's great. So you really got to match like the emotion of what was happening in the performances with, you know, the emotional beats of, of the tracks and of the music that you were putting out. Right. And then, um, sometimes there, there was so much space that they needed to fill that they would take a song that I had written for another scene and then put it in this scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or yeah, yeah. there's even a song, there was a song that I wrote for um, 
a scene in, I believe, episode three where someone asked Travis's character, was you in the cavalry? And the name yeah, of the song, yeah. you in, it's a great the name of the song scene. was, was when were you in the cavalry? But they used that song in another spot. Oh even yeah. Though I wrote it because things were happening so fast. Right, yeah. You know, they had, the, they had all these deadlines to meet and, um, we were all just doing our best and hanging on for dear life. And the editor was amazing in, uh, I would send them full songs, but I would also send them stems. Yeah. So like what you hear, what you hear on the soundtrack on Spotify in the show, you might've only heard the bass and the percussion and then like oh, one yeah. piece of music. Cause I split it all up. Yeah. So I gave him like, here's, Percussion track. Here's here's just the bass track. Here are these weird keyboard sounds. Here's this. They even took Aubrey's violin and actually slowed it down to half speed for um, a couple of scenes. So the editor was doing all this amazing stuff too. Yeah, and yeah. we, it's due. It's got to come out right. on Friday. So <laughs> right. like go. You know, like what, what if this works in this scene? Then just just go for it. Yeah. You know. So the soundtrack that you hear on Spotify are all the sort of um, fully realized versions of the songs right. that some most appear in the episodes in their fully realized versions. And then some just don't. Yeah. So it's full vibe that you get, you, you get to hear it in mixed one way in the show and then mixed a different way when the, when the album's out. So um, unfortunately or fortunately, that's just kind of the only way you can really do a soundtrack when you're yeah. releasing it to the public because you can't if you released every single edit and every single piece it just it wouldn't make much sense yeah um, as a listener without without being in context so at least all these songs are all sort of in context fully realized the there are 14 different songs um and uh I'm, I'm glad people are enjoying it so much yeah yeah, I mentioned uh, I talked to Brian a couple weeks ago about the show, and and I mentioned to him then like I'm waiting for the uh, for the DVD release so I can look at the bonus features, but uh, that that's the kind of thing that I think that you know a production like Undeadwood um, could really could really benefit from or, or would be buoyed by right like the you know I, I think we as fans or, or those of us who watch and enjoy the show would love to see you know the breakdown of the process of the music production or the set production like it really was a full fully realized production it wasn't just we sit in front of a screen on twitch and we do like a six up and and we go i mean from from start to finish it was every bit as involved as any tv show you want to name yeah yeah i'm it's, I'm, I'm happy to have been involved yeah. so uh and any other any other cool things on the horizon in the music world the voice acting world the D D world uh what you got coming up yeah well um What's cool is I actually just got um, a bunch of tour dates sent to me this morning. I'm going to be on tour in um, in March and April in the UK. Oh, wow. So I'm actually, um, when this comes out, they'll be posted on my website, but there's only a couple posted so far, but I'm going to be in... Um, in Glasgow and Dublin and London and Birmingham and Bristol. So, um, I've, I've got that tour coming up. I, um, there's a bunch of really cool games that I'm, that I'm going to be in in 2020 that I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> like voice acting stuff. Yeah. You know how that goes, but when it comes out, you'll, 
you'll see me waving the flag. Right, sure. right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I plan on touring um, in Europe actually twice next year. So once in March and April and then another time in September. Yeah. So look for that. And then at least one, probably another U.S. tour around the same time that I did this year. So okay. uh, uh, August, September. Um, so don't miss my Houston show. Yeah, as I was saying, make sure you come back through Houston. I'll uh, I'll actually show up this time for sure. Okay, great, great. Well, dude, um, thank you so much for joining me. It, it's been awesome getting to chat with you, and uh, for sure, looking forward to stuff you have coming up. Looking forward to the secretive unnamed video game projects. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, you know, shout your oh, praises and, when those come out. A, yeah, some a bunch of secret unnamed anime as well. Okay. They're all secret. They're all unnamed, right. but they're all coming out. So many NDAs yeah. you've signed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and then of course you know I can't keep track. It, if and when uh, we badger Brian into producing a second season of Undeadwood, two weeks before it comes out, he'll uh, he'll reach out to you, and you'll have that too. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way it goes, um, dude. So thank you so much. Maybe maybe he'll give me three months this or three weeks this time. Three hopefully. weeks, if if you're lucky, yeah. or or one week, you never yeah. know. <laughs> um, but dude thank you so much for, for coming on I uh, loved getting to talk to you it's been been a great joy for me um, good luck with the with the game you've got the charity stream coming up this weekend um, hope it is big and successful and makes a huge impact I know this airs after we do that but right. I'm actually this is like my charity stream weekend because okay. uh, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, performing music on Adam Green's Save the Yorkies uh, stream. Oh, awesome. he's, he stays up for 48 hours to support, uh, a Yorkie, uh, r dog rescue. Cause he has a Yorkie. So he loves Yorkies and, and That's found a Yorkie rescue to support. And, um, so I'm doing that on Friday and then Satine's charity stream on Saturday. So hopefully I'm building up some good karma. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure to, to tweet about it at least. Uh, even though the episode will come yeah. out later, we'll, we'll give a shout out there. Um, speaking Great. of, where can people follow you online, social media? Where can they check you out? Well, obviously, if you just remember my name, Jason <laughs> Charles Miller, right. go to my website. I've got all my socials listed there. I'm Jason Charles Miller on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm Jason C. Miller because my name's too long. Too long, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can find me pretty easily. I'm pretty active. I, I tweet or post something just about every day. So follow me to see what shenanigans I'm up to. Right. Well, everybody, uh, this has been another episode of Roll for Persuasion. Thanks again for listening. And the more you do, the more we get to bring you awesome guests like JCM. Make sure you are tuning in. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in 2020. Make sure you check us out again on social media at Roll Persuasion. You can email Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com and Patreon dot com slash roll for persuasion until next time guys make sure you enjoy your games